Episode 43 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Yeah, my name's Jan Sears. I'm currently a fixed wing pilot and officer for the California Highway Patrol based out of uh, beautiful Napa, California. Uh, we patrol the skies above all of the nine Bay Area counties and try to keep uh, the public safe from uh, bad guys and uh, try to help those in need. Today's episode is brought to you by Cadence Aviation. Cadence Aviation makes headsets that are affordable and work amazing. I have been testing out the PNR headset for the last week and I would highly recommend it. You can catch it on sale right now on their website, cadenceaviation.com for $149. Go and check it out, that's cadenceaviation.com. What is going on, AV Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot to Pilot podcast. My name is Justin, and I am your host. Today, I am talking with California Highway Patrol pilot, Jan Sears. I really think you're going to enjoy today's episode and just find out other ways you can enjoy an aviation career. You do not have to be an airline pilot to have a good, successful career, and Jan is a testament to that. In this episode, Jan and I talk about why he decided to go to Embry-Riddle, and then, consequently, why he decided to leave Embry-Riddle, How he never actually flew at Embry-Riddle because of the price and chose a local flight school that was much, much cheaper. How he went between 10 years from getting his private to his other ratings. How and why he chose to work for the Highway Patrol. And also how he got involved with flying with the California Highway Patrol. We talk about a day in the life with a Highway Patrol pilot. We're talking about the moment he clocks in the duty and the moment he clocks out, what they actually do. And it is some crazy cool stuff, what they do and the planes that they fly. Aviation, I hope you truly enjoyed today's episode. If you do like it, leave us a review on iTunes. You can email me at pilottopilothq at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram at pilottopilot. And please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pilottopilot. That money goes to help support the podcast, pay for fees, and it's also going to help create some things that I have in the future. I'm going to try to make some more internet community things so we can all stay in touch with each other and create a good forum and just have some good conversations on how we can help aviators. Also, Aviation, please check out Cadence Aviation. They make some great stuff. It's affordable. It's great quality. I highly recommend it. And without further ado, guys, I want to go ahead and get this episode going for you. Here is Jan Sears. Jan, what's going on? Thanks for coming on the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, you're welcome, Justin. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate uh, the invite. Yeah, no problem. I mean, we've been emailing back and forth for a while, and it seems to be the constant theme when I'm trying to get people on is just <laughs> aviation and schedules just don't mix very well. So it's <laughs> it's usually always a long time coming, but I'm glad to finally have you on. No, that's awesome. I'm um, I'm a patient person, as are you. So we'll, we we got to figure it out. And that's definitely. Great. So as you said in your intro, as everyone now knows, you fly for the California Highway Patrol. Was this always a dream of yours, or did it just kind of all work out that way? Yeah, well, this this kind of uh, it was a it was a strange path, and I'll kind of take you back to the beginning. I um I grew up in a small town called Bolinas, north of San Francisco. And that's where I meant, um, met the person who became my mentor. And I know that um, a couple of podcasts ago, you were talking to uh, one of the other pilots about mentors and how important they are. And uh, this one turned out to be, you know, probably the most important person in my life. Uh, as my mom had left uh, town and my, my dad, my stepdad is actually who raised me and he was busy working. So I had this, this mentor and he had taken his GI Bill from the Vietnam War and went out and got his CFI and started uh, taking some of the younger crowd uh, flying. And I started at age 10 flying out of uh, 
first Oakland airport and then Hayward airport. Um, on the weekends I would, uh, at 10 years old, I'd get on a bus and, and go 40 miles away to, uh, to the airport down in Hayward and uh, spend the weekend down there with him doing a couple lessons and then, um, coming back home. So it was kind of a very unique situation. You know, he's kind of like a, uh, I, I, I call him my second father. That's, that's kind of how I consider him. He was that strong of a mentor and how I turned out. And um, so after I soloed at age 16 out of Oakland Airport and um, got my license by the time I was 20, I did do a year down at Embry-Riddle in Prescott, Arizona, and that didn't work out. But I did finish my, my private down there, not through the school, but through an FBO there at Prescott Airport. And uh, I uh, ended up then going to EMT school and then becoming a paramedic. And I worked as a paramedic for 12 years in the city of Oakland. So aviation kind of took a back burner for, well, almost 20 years um, until um, kind of fast forward to about uh, 18 years ago, I joined the highway patrol as an officer. And for those that are interested in this as a career path, it's, um, you, you join the highway patrol to become a police officer, to patrol the streets, to hand out citations and take crashes and help people on the highways of, of California. And But they do have an aviation program. So my goal at the time was to get on the helicopter as a paramedic, not even to be a pilot. So it kind of, it kind of uh, took a weird twist there. Um, and I ended up working the road out of the academy in Hayward. Um, uh, which is just south of San Francisco on the on the East Bay. Uh, I did that. I was planning on being there for maybe five years, thinking the air ops program wouldn't suck me in as a paramedic for quite some time. But they uh, they had they had a need, and uh, I kind of jumped on that. And it was a month after 9/11. I ended up being transferred up there as a paramedic on the helicopter. Thanks. So that's, cool. Yeah, it's it's a, a kind of a twisted path, but. Um, um, Ultimately, it, uh, I did the, uh, I don't know if you want to ask me any questions in between here and that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, I'll ask some <laughs> questions for sure. Yeah. Um, so 10 years old, that's, uh, that's crazy. That's probably one of the youngest that I've ever heard. That's, that's very early to know that that's exactly what you wanted, like you wanted to be involved with aviation at 10. Yeah, no, it's, and, and to be honest, the, the real path that I wanted to follow was, you know, I kind of grew up in the era of Top Gun and, um, I wanted to go to, to, to be a naval aviator and, um, go that path. But, uh, I, I did end up joining the Marine Corps at age 18, um, with the ultimate goal of, you know, getting out there and then having the GI Bill and being able to go to college and then, get back in the military as an officer. And unfortunately, while I was at basic training, had an asthma attack. So it kind oh, of, no. yeah. it kind of, yeah, it kind of squashed my whole, um, my whole military plan, you know? <laughs> so I'd had, you know, even my, my graduation gown, I painted on the back of it, you know, top gun class of 92. <laughs> so I was, I was very, um, that was a real strong focus for me, um, at that age, you know, especially growing up flying really young and, Flying in the Bay Area, which is a very you know busy airspace, and uh, having that goal of being in the military, and then having that kind of squashed down, I I took a while to sort of reset and um, 
as you can see, it took a, a little while longer to get it get it back on track. But, yeah, I mean, everyone yeah. faces their own setbacks and difficulties in the career. And I mean, it's, when, when one thing everyone needs to notice is that just because what you're struggling, maybe someone might not be going through the same exact thing you're going through, but someone ha- someone's going through a similar thing, if that makes sense. Like everyone oh, has absolutely. had setbacks in this career, whether it's an asthma attack and you've figured out that you couldn't be the top gun or you couldn't be Maverick or Goose or whoever you wanted to be, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. just, it's, um, it's unfortunate, but it happens. And I think that part of it kind of molds you into the person and pilot that you're going to become down the road. No, I agree with you 100% on that one. And and ultimately what ended up happening, you know, I, I go down this paramedic path where I'm taking care of people in Oakland um, for 12 years and then then the highway patrol. And then I, I was on the helicopter as a medic and I, I got kind of, you know, I'd been a medic for nearly 20 years. And I said, you know, I'm, I'd really like to do something with, you know, the private pilot license that I got when I was 20, you know, and now I'm age 40. And I had a discussion with our commander and he said, hey, you know, go get your stuff. You know, I needed my commercial instrument and 300 hours PIC, which I nearly had. And uh, so I did that in four months, knocked nice. it out and, and ended up transitioning from a medic on the helicopter to a pilot on our uh, fixed wing 206 uh, that we had at the time. Ooh, I love so, flying 206s. That's a good airplane. It's a. It was a great machine while we had them. We yeah. had them in service for almost uh, uh, 17 years. There's still a few in the southern portion of the state and up north that are still using them. But we've transitioned to different aircraft now. So yeah, what what planes are yeah. you guys flying now? So we're flying a Gibbs Aero Airvan GA8. Um, all right, never heard of that which, before, but all right. <laughs> I know, and that's and that's uh, most people haven't. It's Australian made. Um, it's owned by a company called Mahindra, which is out of India. Um, uh, Mahindra acquired uh, Gibbs in 2008 when they were having some financial problems. Just like so everyone they, else in the world. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right at the same time. Yeah. And they, um, the aircraft are primarily designed for use in the outback. So, um, and they use it in Papua New Guinea and Africa and kind of remote locations it's sort of a workhorse it looks a little like a caravan um but it still has the same io 540 that the uh, turbocharged engine that the 206 has so okay. it's piston driven um but big useful load and works very well as a as a surveillance platform so that's nice. ultimately why we ended up with it cool Let's yeah. take it. Let's take it back a little bit, back to your sure. training, and kind of just unfold a little bit on that because it sounds like a lot kind of went down. You know, I noticed <laughs> that you said that Embry Riddle just like didn't work out. Is there anything in specific that didn't work out there? Was it kind of the one forty one style training? Was it just how expensive it was, or what? What all went down? Yeah, so I started off there as a um, as an aerospace engineering major, which. It was really kind of the wrong choice for me. I sh- I'm not real strong in math, and that should have been kind of the, <laughs> the main bell that should have went off. And yeah, big red when flag. I turned, yeah, when I turned <laughs> in my first drafting assignment, and uh, it sure looked pretty to me, and it came back as a D minus with a bunch of red lines on it. I, I now I now knew that this probably wasn't the right path. So <laughs> I, I started down an aviation science degree path after that, and I. What ended up happening is is just like with a lot of 18-year-olds who are away from home for the first time, I got on academic probation and lost my financial aid and um, was having too much fun and not focusing enough. <laughs> so um, ultimately ended up uh, kind of coming home with my 
with my tail between my legs, and that's when I ended up getting into EMS and, and going to EMT school and ultimately to paramedic school. But I, I you know, Embry-Riddle was great. I didn't do any flying through the school. I, I kind of compared an FBO to what the cost of aircraft were through the school itself, and it was, you know, two to three times the, the price. And uh, I had grown up flying Cherokees, and the FBO there had um, had a warrior and archer, and that was perfect for me. So um, I kind of I settled I settled for that rather than than paying <laughs> two to three times the amount to say that I got my license through Embry Riddle. You know oh yeah, I mean? it's yeah. it's crazy. Some of the prices at Embry Riddle or ATP or all the, yeah. the kind of major mainstream either universities or flight schools is kind of ridiculous. And it I don't, is. I don't know if everyone knows that you can do it a different way. I know that some guys are just like, all right, my buddy went to Embry riddle. I'm going to go to Embry riddle. Like I'll get $200,000 in debt or $250,000 in debt. And I just pay it off. And that's just kind of how it works, but that's not exactly. how it has to work. You can, <laughs> you can go to your local flight school. I did mine in the suburbs of Charlotte and I was able to get it done dirt cheap. I mean, you can find a way to get out of it with forty five, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 in debt rather than 300 or 250. Yeah, no, and uh, 100% agree with you there. And especially, you know, with an FBO next to the school, you, it doesn't tie into your major. You can you can deviate and do whatever you'd like. It just doesn't count toward college units, which is kind of how the schools kind of hard sell the, the flight training is that, well, if you do it here, you get credit for it. If you do it somewhere else, you don't. And um, I think now that's sort of changing. I know schools like um, Liberty University will tie in with an FBO and you can you can put some of your flight training time toward um, credit for a degree, which is um, pretty fantastic. But still, you know, as online classes are, you know, almost a thousand dollars a unit. Yeah. Um, Those start to that adds up very quickly. So oh, it does. Yeah, for sure. It's but, expensive without a doubt. It's just you can do your research and figure out a way to make it a little bit less expensive. Exactly. Yeah. But I do like yeah, how other people are giving you options. So like you said, there's there's other schools that are trying to do maybe the Embry-Riddle route or maybe they're trying to do where they partner with a local FBO. It's because Embry-Riddle works for some people. Like that's exactly what they need to get their pilot license and to get jobs in the future. And like that's that's good for them, but it doesn't work for other people and everyone needs an option. And it's good to know that there's a lot of options out there. Oh, yeah. No, it's um, it's a I mean, the options are endless, and that's the beauty of it, especially now with, with the need being so high for pilots in, in all levels of the industry. Um, I think it's it's such a ripe time, and if, if we just got to get more youth involved, and that's, um, you know, I, I try as hard as I can to to get in contact and mentor younger people who are, have, a, have an interest or a drive in aviation Definitely. and, you know, and point them down this road because the timing is going to be great for somebody who's in high school right now. Um, you know, if they spend the time, do the standard route, even if they went the route of being a CFI for a while to build time. And by the time they get to be 23, 24 years old, it's going to be an open door. So for sure, it definitely yeah. is. Now is the best time to get into aviation. I've said it before and it sounds like a broken record, but I mean, for the meantime, it just looks like an amazing time and we don't know how long that's going to last because as everyone knows, aviation is a very cyclical beast and it's mountains and valleys and right now the career is on top of the mountain and we might be on our way down. We might be still going up. We don't know. So it's important to just put (laughs) your head down and get to work. Yeah, exactly. And that's um, uh, that's what I tell. um, I had a a conversation with uh, one of the officer's sons um, 
who uh, is interested in aviation, 17 years old. And, you know, I kind of painted all of the possible paths. I mean, it was pretty overwhelming amount of information because, you know, I said, well, you can be a CFI, you can go corporate, you can, you can go into the airlines, you can, you know, the routes are, are, are kind of endless. And uh, having those sort of options at that age, um, I think would be really exciting. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> really, yeah. really exciting. You yeah. can do whatever you want. And it's like you exactly. can fly for the highway patrol, you can fly for the military, you can fly corporate, everything. Like you don't set up once again, said it before, but you can have a, a good career in aviation without being a major airline pilot. So it's definitely something to look into. Yeah. And that's you know, when people ask me, you know, how you know, how do I become a pilot with the highway patrol? It's you know, one the one thing I tell them right off the bat is you have to be okay with the fact that what we do is law enforcement. So um, it's job one, you know, we carry a gun, we wear a vest. Um, you know, it's not the greatest time to be a law enforcement officer right now with the present political climate, but there is a need for officers. So we, we need bodies and, you know, statewide, we have eight bases, um, you know, uh, all the way from down in Fullerton up North to Reading, uh, East to Auburn. And then we're the furthest West here in, in the San Francisco area. Gotcha. So yeah, we've got, um, you know, lots of opportunities and, you know, it may sound like a small group. I think we've got about 65 fixed wing pilots statewide, um, which was out of a, you know, an officer corps of 8,000 seems like, Oh, how would I even get a job doing that? Because once you get in, you don't have to leave until you retire. If you want to, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, a lot of agencies will bring you in. They'll let you fly for five years and then they'll say, okay, you got to get back in a car now <laughs> no. so, that we, so that we can, so that we can give someone else an opportunity to come in. Our department has decided that, you know, you, you're, you're gaining all of this experience and knowledge. Um, there's no reason as long as you're, you know, above board and exactly. you know, professional that you should be able to stick around and stick your career out. So Exactly. It sounds like a waste yeah. of resources the other way because you're training someone to uh, – with aviation, you get better and with experience. And you get those five years experience and they put you back on the road and then a new guy comes yeah. in. And that's going to be more expensive, more mistakes. They're not going to be as comfortable flying. So it's kind of wasted money and wasted materials. One of the one of the interesting things about that route, and I, I think that would be attractive, is that very often the department will actually train the officer from the ground up. So they can come in with zero flight time, never flown before. They'll get in with the CFI and the aircraft on the job. So they're getting paid on the job and they get the ratings paid for. And they do that five-year stint. Um, so, you know, that being said... <laughs> That can be kind of a benefit. Uh, the highway patrol, the way that we operate is you got to come in with your uh, commercial instrument, either fixed wing or rotor, whichever route you're choosing, and 300 hours of piloting command time. So you got to have your stuff before you even put in for the job. And it's, gotcha. and, it, and it's like applying for a separate job. You know, you get an interview. Um, you have to fill out an application that's kind of separate from that. You got to do some essays. So even though you're working under the same umbrella, they really um, vet their people really well because they they know that these people are going to be in that unit for a long period of time and want to make sure they're a good fit with the existing staffing. So Definitely. Take yeah. me through a little bit of what a day in the life of a highway patrol pilot is, <laughs> like from the moment you wake up or the moment you get a mission or how you even get a mission, and then from sure. what you do in the morning and how the, the whole day progresses. 
Yeah, so I work um, I work the afternoon shift. Um, we have, between the helicopter and the airplane, we have four shifts. So the airplane works um, a 0, 0600 to 1500 shift, uh, nine-hour shift. And then I work the swing shift, which is 1500 to midnight. Um, I do that usually Sunday through Wednesday, Sunday through Thursday, depending on the week. Um, and, you know, I'll get... I'll get up in the morning. I'll, you know, take my kids to school. I've got uh, one more in high school. The other two are, are, um, one's in college and the other one's uh, grown up and then, uh, feed my dogs and go for a walk, get some exercise, eat a, eat a hearty breakfast. And then, um, I head into the office and basically, you know, we put our uniform on and, you know, inspect our weapon, make sure everything's good to go for the day. Um, we do a, a pre-flight on the aircraft, which is, you know, includes, a conversation with the pilot from the morning shift to make sure that any maintenance issues um, that have cropped up over the shift are identified and so that I'm aware of it. I'm the unit maintenance officer, so uh, in charge of two aircraft, which doesn't sound like much, but um, they do break a lot because there's a lot <laughs> of compli complicated equipment on, on both the machines. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I'll go in, I'll, uh, I'll do what every other pilot does. I pull weather, pull NOTAMs, um, we fill out a, um, an SMS form every day, um, safety management system form. We call it a FRAT, so um, Flight Risk Analysis Tool. And that uh, is becoming kind of a standard in the industry, at least for, um, for even for 121, 135, and 91. Some 191 operators will do that kind of thing. That way you can kind of get an evaluation on how you're feeling today and how your crew members are feeling. Uh, as far as any outside you know, life stress or lack of sleep or illness or what have you. Right. And uh, after we do that, it's kind of, uh, we, we usually fly between four and six hours out of a nine-hour shift. Okay. Um, most of that time, um, we're up on patrol kind of proactively listening for calls. Um, and we end up assisting about 350 agencies in the Bay Area. So oh, wow. those, ag those agencies can't afford to have aircraft. So um, our goal is um, to back up um, the guys and gals on the ground so that they can more safely do um, their operations. And then the rest of the time, we're kind of um, – we sit at the office. I Like I said, I'm the maintenance officer, so I have a number of, um, um, you know, axillary uh, jobs that I take care of um, to make sure that the aircraft are, uh, we do scheduled maintenance every 50 hours. It's kind of a uh, progressive maintenance program. So in lieu of doing an annual, we, we do these um, progressives. So uh, nice. to make sure that, yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a good way to do it. Um, the progressives keep the aircraft in the air more, more frequently instead of being down for a week or two, they're down for a couple of days. So it's a, it's yeah, a pretty you nice can, setup. You can keep track of what's going on with the airplane better too. You don't have many surprises. Absolutely. You're like, hey, no. this, this is something we need to keep an eye on. Let's make sure we order a part so we know that we can get it fixed right away when the time yeah. comes, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. You know, we work with a maintenance vendor in Sacramento and um, they maintain um, six of our um, six of our seven Gips air vans. So they, uh, they're real good with the aircraft because the aircraft is not well known <laughs> as, as, as you know, when, uh, when we talked about it, you didn't, you hadn't heard of it. And I had the same problem with, uh, NorCal and, and Oakland center. They're call me a helicopter, a caravan, a, 
uh, a Grumman, <laughs> I, I, you know, any anything other than a Gibbs Air Van yeah. is what they call us. It's pretty funny. Anything but, other than what it actually is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's funny. What's uh? Yeah. So what do you guys do in the air? Like, I mean, when I hear Highway Patrol, I think of driving from Charlotte to Columbus, and you see this area is patrolled by airplane for speed traps and stuff like that. That's all I really think of. Do you guys do more and, than speed and, traps, or? Yeah, so um, we hate the word speed trap. <laughs> there's there's actually a written law that says that the way that we have to do business has to be very particular yeah. in that it's not a speed trap. But we do, um, so the, you will drive around California and see those signs that say, you know, uh, roads patrolled by aircraft. Um, yes, we're patrolling. Uh, this day and age, we're not necessarily um, doing those kinds of speed missions. Well, you know, I'll look out the window and I can kind of obviously see someone who's exceeding the speed limit um, and let my flight officer in the back. I do fly with a with an officer in the back. He runs all of the um, the sensor equipment for the camera, and he does all the law enforcement communications. So our, our jobs are kind of divided. I'm, I'm the sole pilot in command of the aircraft, and, you know, I make decisions about how to get through airspace while we're involved in the pursuit and he's on the phone with you know on the radio with uh you know two different agencies and trying to give up locations and coordinate um units for the next area that they're going into so i'm kind of the limo driver for him he's <laughs> he's the one doing doing the uh, the real work I'm, right. I'm sort of uh i'm i'm obviously an integral part of the setup but um so he's yeah, like your we, your in plane dispatch in a sense. He tells he you is. where to go, what you need to do, and how you need to do it. Oh no, exactly. he tells you where you need to go and what we need to do, <laughs> yeah. and you tell him how you're going to do it, and you figure exactly. out how to get it done. That's yeah. exactly how it works, and uh, it it works really well that way. And you know, we do a lot of um, crew resource management in those conversations. You know, figuring out whether you know being on the uh, approach path to SFO at a thousand feet can work, you know, in this particular <laughs> location because that does happen yeah, I very, bet. very frequently. Where, where criminals, we've got a criminals don't care about airspace. <laughs> yeah, they do not care yeah. at all. Yeah. No. That's <laughs> so, funny. Do you guys yeah. have any priority at all when that happens? So, like, say you're on a you're on a whatever kind of mission you're on, and you go, "Hey, ATC or SFO, like we we got to get this guy. We got to figure out what to do. Do you have any priority to get to where you need to go?" They work with us so well. I've got nothing but kudos for um, all of the the ATC agencies that we have to work with. It's mainly NorCal, uh, Oakland Center, and the various tower, um, Oakland Tower, which is a Charlie airspace, as well Mm -hmm. as San Francisco Tower. Um, In fact, we just went into SFO the other day, which we don't do very often because it's pretty tricky to get in there in a small plane yeah. that, you know, has a max forward airspeed of about 140 knots. So, yep. <laughs> um, yeah, but they really do everything they can to help us out. Um, if, if the, if we tell them, Hey, it's mission critical that we, you know, get in there and they'll, they'll actually deviate, you know, airliners around us, um, so that we can do our job, which is really, really fantastic. <laughs> that, yeah. it's fantastic it's fantastic for you guys but when that uh heavy not A3- so much not so much for them yeah. yeah when that heavy a380 gets a call to go around on short final because this uh this guy flying a gibbs needs to go through yeah, approach yeah. corridor they're like what the heck <laughs> yeah yeah that's never they're never all that happy but no. we you know i'm i'm very situationally aware when i fly and i kind of 
I kind of meter, you know, just how important it is. If we can wait five minutes to get in there, we can orbit, you know, south of the approach corridor and then work our way in. Um, so I, you know, I work well with the flight officer. I kind of tell him what, what we need to do to, you know, not only be safe, but to not be a hindrance to the system. Right. So, Definitely. yeah, it's, 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 a, you know, it's a coordinated effort and it, and it, I've had very rare, I can't even think of a situation where it didn't work out just fine. You know, we've always managed to, to figure it out. The, the real bonus is the camera that we have on the aircraft, which is made by Westcam L3, um, has incredible reach. And we can be, you know, two to three miles offset from a call and still be functional. So we kind of use that to our advantage. Gotcha. And, uh, so you have a radius that you can be in between that. Exactly. That call. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So it's really nice. So I can be maybe not directly over the call. I can be offset doing racetrack orbits, you know, south or west of the call. And right. Because obviously have, have, in an airplane, it's a lot harder to stay over one specific area. It's not a, it's not a helicopter. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it's, um, yeah, with that, with that camera, it's, it's really kind of changed the way that we do things. We, prior to that, prior to 2011, you know, it was uh, the flight officer with a pair of binoculars looking out the window. Oh, geez. And, and we were a lot lower level. We were patrolling at like 1,500 feet, which obviously doesn't leave you a lot of glide range if you lose an engine. And, nope. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, um, it, was a, it was a different kind of operation back then, and now we're, you know, we're up to 35 to 5,500 feet on patrol. And, totally functional in a much um in, in a much safer flight envelope as far as i'm concerned yeah still probably getting yeah. beat around in turbulence and very hot in the winter or the summertime oh yeah yeah especially the last um i mean this last summer has been probably the worst uh, wildfire season the california has seen and we've been you know up literally in the smoke um for weeks on end um you know, I'm, I feel really sad for all the people that have had um, their lives affected by uh, by the fires. And but, the you know, the Bay Area got affected by the smoke. That was really kind of um, yeah. where we ended up. And uh, yeah, it's very it was it made for an interesting few months of flying. So, Definitely. I was up in Napa yeah. and let's see what have been the end of June or somewhat around oh, yeah. the end of June. And yeah. Napa looked like Mars, like straight it up did. like Mars. I have <laughs> yeah. never seen anything like that before. It was crazy. No, it's crazy light. And, and then Mars is the perfect description for that, that tone. It was just that kind of off orange um, light for yeah. weeks and weeks on end. Definitely. So yeah, you, yeah. It's crazy. What's, uh, what's your mission when something like that and firefighting environment, what do you guys do to help? Yeah. So I'll kind of, um, paint you know, last, last October we had, um, the Atlas peak fire, which was in North Napa. Um, that fire, um, was kind of the first of the three big ones that hit the North Bay. Um, the other being, um, the Tubbs fire, the one that, kind of devastated Santa Rosa. Mm -hmm. um, we, uh, so we happened to be on patrol um, just out and about on that night, um, October 7th. It was about uh, 10 minutes to 10 in the evening. I was over the city of Vallejo, which is just south of Napa. And I looked to the north and I saw kind of a faint flicker in the blackness. And uh, I told my flight officer, I said, hey, you know, let's go up and take a look at this. Hadn't heard any calls of anything yet. And uh, 
by the time we got about halfway there, this, this glow had grown brighter. You know, I'd kind of thought maybe it was a party or, you know, a large wedding or something. Cause they do a lot of that stuff in Napa and right. a lot of, a lot of big estates up in those Hills. And but as we got closer, it was evident that this was clearly um, a fire that was getting bigger. And by the time we got overhead, I had had to climb to about 8,500 feet because the turbulence were so bad. Oh, wow. um, we had the, the north wind, which we get probably twice a year, you know, where we get a that high pressure system that just formed over the border of, of Oregon and California. And it was just shooting uh, wind down where over the ridge line it was, um, you know, roughly uh, 75 to 100 miles an hour. Oh, is wow. what they estimated that, and up where we were, we were you know battling forty mile an hour winds out of the north. So, um, yeah, it was amazing. So we got overhead of this fire, and it was about you know five to ten acres large, and no one had had made any calls yet because it was a little bit rural. But it was steamrolling right toward the city of Napa and several homes. So we made the initial call to um, Cal Fire um, to start getting people evacuated. Um, I made a call to our helicopter, which was just clearing a call over uh, Richmond, and um, they headed up, and they ultimately ended up saving 40 people uh, oh from gosh. their homes. Yeah, flying in some of the most horrific conditions imaginable, like hurricane force winds, uh, you know, smoke, and they were using night vision goggles so they could they could see a whole lot better uh, flying through that those conditions. But man, it was. Um, some of the most heroic flying I'd ever seen. Um, you know, we were obviously very high and basically our job became, you know, giving addresses that looked like they were under threat right. and trying to get rescue personnel there. So yeah, we were, um, we, you know, we were the initial call out, but the, the, the helicopter crews both out of Napa and Redding um, got involved with the rescue portion of this and they both um they actually ended up getting the medal of valor this year no way That's from awesome. from the from the fire you know the uh, california fire agencies so yeah pretty pretty big deal um and and since then we've been utilized um as kind of you know i'll go and spot a fire if no other aircraft are there we've um we work in coordination with cal fire they usually put you know tfrs over these yeah. larger fires and um, we will, you know, work with them. If we get a call inside those TFRs, we've got the ability to communicate air to air with the air boss and, uh, and the tankers and make sure that we're safely allowed in those spaces. So I actually yeah, flew so. the Pennsylvania fire department, or I don't know exactly, maybe it was the wildfire. I don't know. Some department in Pennsylvania, when I flew freight, they would contract our caravans and we would pick, go ah. pick up a firefighter. He'd have a big radio and we'd just fly all around Pennsylvania and we'd spot smoke and then we'd go circle the fire and we'd see what it was. And they could see that someone was burning illegally and they would make a call and we'd stay there till the cops showed up or the fire department showed out and put that's out the crazy. fire. Yeah. So that's it, awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of, of, of combining aviation with, with other adjunct things is there's, it's kind of an endless, an endless possibility of what you can do with it. Oh, without awesome. a doubt. It's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. it's, and so you, cool. the type of flying you do, like not many people know it's even an option, but it's got to be so rewarding. Like you said, when you, you guys were able to do what you did for that last fire, whether it was just being the first one to see it and make sure you did your due diligence and telling the necessary people so they could go in and start saving lives, like li Absolutely. literally saving yeah, no. lives. 
it, it was a, a little bit of a struggle for me because I've been I, I was on the helicopter for seven years, so I really wanted to be on the helicopter down yeah. in the fire doing that part of it. But we both, uh, both my flight officer and myself, knew that it, you know the important thing to do was you know as many addresses as we can get out so that they can start getting rescue personnel up and. That's ultimately, uh, it, it turned out good. You know, the loss of lives was very low. There That's was good. a few lives lost, but um, it would have been a lot worse had, had we all not been involved. So, yeah, happy happy ending to, a, to a tragedy. You know, Definitely. So. Well, I appreciate what you do, and I know a lot of times that can be a thankless job. So I'm sure most of my listeners and everyone out there is very appreciative of what you guys do. Oh, thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. No yeah. Problem. Yeah. We, we all do it because we love it. So, um, you know, I, I still get a grin when I drive down the perimeter road to work, you know, <laughs> that I, that I get to, to do what I do. So that's it's, awesome. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That is cool. What other yeah. stories do you have? I'm sure you have some other crazy stories. I'm fine. Do you have any other ones that you want to share at all? Yeah. Um, Cinco de Mayo this year, um, oh boy. was kind of interesting. You know, we <laughs> ended up, well, yeah, we ended up getting involved in, you know, normally, uh, pursuit you know where we've got guys on the ground who are chasing you know a guy who won't stop for whatever reason we usually maybe get one of those a week maybe maybe two at the most you know because the the average pursuit lasts about six minutes yeah um the the ability to actually arrive overhead and get involved you have to just be kind of right place right time kind of scenario um on Cinco de Mayo this year we ended up having three pursuits each of which lasted more than 45 minutes. Oh my gosh. Which is super, un, <laughs> super unusual. And, you know, the, the one that I recall the most out of the three, I mean, the guy that was driving had spent, clearly spent some time, you know, driving fours of four on, on his home computer because he was, he was able to go in and out of traffic <laughs> like, like no one I'd ever seen um, and didn't crash into anyone, thankfully. Oh, wow. Uh, until the until he finally made his his final mistake after about uh, an hour of driving um, and lost control and crashed. But yeah, we um, that that was an interesting day uh, and very rare for that matter. And we ended up putting you know out of those pursuits about six people in jail. So yeah, they probably uh, deserve to be there too. <laughs> indeed, yeah. No, I mean it's uh, you know our whole. Our whole motto and our whole goal is every day is so that the people on the ground driving, just you know, trying to live their lives, can make it there more safely by what we do. And if there's anything that we can change to make that for the better, we do our best. So definitely, yeah. Well, I want to go back a little bit farther back again, and I want to talk about sure. two th- or kind of one thing and mend it together. You got your private pilot license at a younger age, and then you stepped away from flying a little bit, and then you went back to training later in life. What yeah. would you say <laughs> the differences in learning and maybe how someone learns at a younger age versus an older age are? Or would you say it was relatively similar for, you know, there wasn't many differences. Was it harder? Was it easier? Just kind of go into that. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, you know, you're 40 years old, you got a full-time job, um, you got a family that you're responsible for, and you're trying to squeeze in, um, you know, getting your commercial and your instrument rating before work, you know, for five months. So, um, it was, yeah, it was a struggle for sure. Um, trying to, you know, the, I remember reading through the commercial, you know, handbook and I'm like, did I even know this stuff as a private <laughs> pilot, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at these things. I'm like, I don't even remember hearing this, you right. know? And so it was just bringing all of that stuff back to the table, back to the front burner again, that, 
was has been stowed away in the locker of my mind right. for so long. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a little bit of a struggle, but I will tell you, you know, um, you know, um, one of my flight instructors that I just had for my CFI said, you know, you need three things to be successful in aviation. You need time, money, and motivation. And I had all three at the time, and yeah. that's that when you when you can get the trifecta like that, and and you can have the time where you can focus on it because I, I honestly believe the, the best way to do it is to knock it out, not to spend, you know, you know, five or six years to get your private. Cause you're kind of one step forward, two steps back, just really, you know, pick a time where you can invest the time you've got the money on hand, whether that's, you know, borrowing it. Like in my case, I borrowed it from my dad. You know, I said, mm-hmm. Hey, can I just borrow 10 grand for my commercial instrument? I'll pay you back. And then, and if, in a few years and he said sure and just timing was good for that and um and then the motivation i mean and and staying motivated is as you know is kind of a struggle when you know when you've got two or three things pulling your strings you've got yeah. children to take care of you got your family at home you've got the job that's relying on you to be there and um so yeah i just i stayed focused and motivated and and managed to to get it done in a relatively short period of time, considering it took ten years to get my private um, <laughs> <laughs> to do my commercial instrument yeah, in four, four months, months. Uh, yeah was That's was amazing was, uh, yeah it was good I was you know five days a week three hours a day before shift and just you know i wanted to, I wanted it badly and um knowing that you know, getting to fly for the highway patrol is, you know, an honor and a privilege and really respected that. And, um, just everything, all the, all the stars aligned is, is all I can say. <laughs> it's funny. You, you bring up motivation and, um, that it's just, it's funny. It's also funny how your motivation can change when you know you're responsible for people like your family, your wife, your, the well being oh, of bet. other people. Yeah. It's like, all right, I'm not just letting myself down. It's like, I'm not 19 anymore. These decisions and choices that I make have ramifications on me, my family, future generations, even based on the, what you can do right now. So you, you can't afford to take the time that you did. You can't afford to take 10 years to get your private, you know, it's like, I need to get this hey, done now. Knock it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Um, it's in, in, I think the journey, um, you know, I, I look at it as, a, as the, the whole thing is a journey and, um, it's not over yet. I think there's, there's going to be different flying for me in retirement. I've got, you know, I've got less than, um, you know, anywhere from two to nine years where I can leave. And, you know, I've amassed, you know, over, you know, right around 4,000 hours. So, I mean, I can, I can take that and go do something else with it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll just see where the road road takes us. But the journey Definitely. so far has, has been a blast. Would yeah. you say most pilots of the highway patrol aspire to do something else in their career? Or would you say that most of them are pretty happy with where they're at and they want to stay in the highway patrol flying for the rest of their life? Yeah, I would say, I would say it's mostly guys want to stay. You know, mm-hmm. they, they come into the job wanting to do law enforcement and now they get to do it in a different capacity. Um, there's also the advantage of the pilots for our department make 17% more than the guys on the ground. So mm-hmm. there, there's a bit of a financial um, uh, bonus there for you too. And, you know, the quality of life that we have um, compared to say an airline. So I'm home every night. Um, you know, I get to see my kid off in the morning. 
I have a very set schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a little bit of overtime available if I want it. Um, I don't work that much overtime, but I do occasionally. <laughs> um, but it's it's that quality of life is key, at least you know, especially right now when I still have one more in the house. So yeah. things that might change as I get older. But there are guys. I have a friend um, who's up in Northern Division who's already looking at retiring in 2020 and going to Sky, you know, Sky West as a as oh, a nice. regional pilot. Yeah, he's just. He sees that it's a good time, and he doesn't have children, and he's um, he's ready to go. So why not? And that's yeah, I know, I know. It's 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 a crazy time, and that's um, that's on that's on my radar as well. You know, possibly corporate, possibly regional, and um, if uh, if I leave at a younger age, because I know I won't be able to sit around my house doing nothing. I'm not that. <laughs> I do, I don't like golf. I never will. Oh, and yeah. uh, you know, I've been a lifetime runner and. I'm, I'm a, I keep myself very busy, so um, I can't imagine not having a job or something to, Definitely. to focus on. So we'll see. We'll see what the continuation to the journey ends up being. But that's awesome. Exciting, exciting times, you know. Exciting times. Definitely. Well, I didn't honestly. The only reason I knew that the Highway Patrol had a flight department was those signs that I talked about earlier. And then also when I was at Ohio State, the Highway Patrol donated one of their old 172s to us. So I soloed in an old Highway Patrol plane, which is kind of funny. (laughs) That's crazy. That is crazy. That's the only reason I knew about that. Do you think the Highway Patrol could do a better job or just the aviation in general could do a better job letting them know that this is even an option? Or do you think they don't really have that much of an issue staffing? Yeah, we... we, um rarely does an opening stay uh closed for it i mean it it's usually there's a line of people we actually um so we have guys uh like right now there's a guy um younger guy down in hayward he's got his commercial instrument he's just kind of waiting for a slot to open up and he's already on and we have a list so basically you go and you you test with um our chief pilot and it's just it's kind of like a commercial instrument check ride kind of low-key um, and you'll take a, a written test and that test will put you on a list of available officers for, um, for training. Oh, yeah. And once a spot opens up, um, you put in for it, you interview, um, they say, okay, you're in. Then we go through, um, a three-part phase training at the individual area that you're assigned. So you'll spend, um, three to five months with a training pilot kind of learning, it's sort of a commercial is phase one. Phase two is kind of your instrument focus because they want to make sure that you're pretty sharp there. Mm-hmm. And then and then phase three is kind of our uh, operational phase where you learn how to you know properly do an orbit, how to adjust that orbit for wind, gotcha. how to deal with uh, all the complications of the ATC and, and the variety of airspace that we deal with. So and, it's trying to figure out how to put it all together. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's so. Right. Yeah, so it's kind of a multi-layered thing, but um, you know, like I like I said in the beginning, you really have to want to be a, a cop first yeah. <laughs> because you could you could be in a car um, for five or ten years. You know, one of yeah. our newest pilots is at the unit. He's um, he's been on for nine years. He's been trying the last five years to get into a unit, but he he just wasn't timing it right as far as you know finding an opening. Right. So, uh, but they do come open, and it's a totally feasible option um if that's what you want to do just know in your mind that you have to if you mentally go into it saying okay it's going to be you know five or ten years of driving a car am i good with that (laughs) and if you can say yeah i'm good with that it's fine and 
you know, the retirement is really good. We pre-fund our own retirement um, so that when you leave here at, at 57 years old, you can potentially be making, you know, almost um, 85% of your pay. Oh, nice. So it's a very, um, and, you know, and if, if you retire at 57, you still have time to go do something else if you want to, or you can just go fishing, you know, <laughs> whatever whatever it is that you yeah. desire. So. You do what you love to do. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. It's That's awesome. That's cool. So. Now, you mentioned kind of the second part was IFR and instrument flying. Do you guys do much instrument flying? I can't imagine you guys get called too often to go fly around in circles in the in clouds or anything, but does that happen very often? Yeah, so the the uses for that are twofold, um, no, threefold. So at Napa, we get the uh, advection fog in in the summer. Yeah. So we'll get it, we'll get that layer that's you know 500 to 900 feet just over the airport. So we'll do a lot of you know IFR to VFR on top gotcha. to get to a call that's clear. Gotcha. Because um, very often the Bay Area will have you know intermittent fog layers, that <laughs> kind of thing. No way. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And then the other option is, you know, we're out on a call and while we're gone, the weather goes down and we need to get back into our home airport Definitely. and we're able to, to file and shoot an approach. And then the third thing is we do, we do do some executive transport with our chiefs and captains to get them. Or, you know, sadly, we, we also transport family members of officers who have been shot and killed. So we may end up flying anywhere in the state at any time. So we have to be ready to deal with the weather that might be in between those those two points. So that's why they're real big on, you know, we we go kind of above and beyond the standard uh, instrument training. We do three hours of quarterly training with a training pilot and then an hour of instrument training every quarter um, with three approaches every quarter. So we're, we, we're constantly, um, you know, keeping that that knife edge sharp in case we need it so yeah that's good because that's something that i've talked about before you just you can't afford to let that go away because yeah it's just practice makes perfect and if you indeed don't do it for a while you're going to be rusty and you're going to find yourself in a situation you might not want to be in so it's it's really important and it's also hard to want to do i flew vfr for the first like 700 hours of my time after i got (laughs) my ticket and it's like oh i haven't flown ifr in a while i don't want to go fly ifr you know so it's kind of the thing that like you can, in a way, kind of get afraid of it. I'm not saying I was, or not saying everyone is, but in a way, you can be right. afraid to fly IFR, afraid to fly in the clouds. But you can keep that from happening if you are diligent and you're going out and making sure you're on top of your game and the best pilot you can possibly be. Absolutely, and that's what we encourage our guys to do. I mean, even if I'm out tooling around, I might just do a visual ILS approach back into the airport just to just to work the procedures, you yeah. know. Um, and it's, uh, you know, the equipment and the gifts, we've got, you know, a GTN 750-650 along with the G500 and it's, and along with ForeFlight on iPads. So we went from a KLN-94 and steam gauges in the 206 <laughs> to this very complicated aircraft yeah. that has, you know, a lot of avionics and um, that, that kind of thing you have to really keep your head in because there's, you know, every little nuance of, yeah. of every approach has some little button that you're supposed to be pushing or <laughs> oh pulling. Oh my gosh, yeah. 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 I know exactly sure what, you know what you're talking, talking about. about. Yeah, exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. It was funny yeah. that you just brought up ForeFlight because I was just about to ask. I was like, how do you guys maneuver around these airspaces? Do you use your iPad? Do you use your Garmin systems? What's kind of the protocol? Like I know ForeFlight is unbelievable in the stuff that they've created and made. And I just I find it really interesting to see the different uses that it can be used for. Yeah, and I'd say four flights probably are most common. Um, you know, the the Garmin is obviously very good as well because we're getting you know updated um, you know A to B information to that mm-hmm. all the time. So it's got the most current TFRs. So 
between the two, it would be very, uh, it would be difficult for us to make a, an airspace mistake. Um, we are, the nice thing about being law enforcement is we are exempt from, you know, say the major league, major league baseball TFRs. Oh, nice. You know, we just basically, um, the NFL TFRs, all those kind of things. We just sort of fly. Screw it. Right we're going them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, they, uh, they don't mind at all. Yeah. So, and you know, we're always up with NorCal anyway, yeah. you know, having, I always, I just encourage everybody at the unit to use as much ATC as possible. It's just a free a free eye in the sky. Um, Definitely. One more, one more layer. Even if you're not in their airspace, just make make use of of, of it while you got it. Definitely, without a doubt. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Four flight, like we talk about four flight and Garmin, awesome. just yeah. how they've changed the industry for the better, and especially four flight. I mean, I can't imagine what flying was like or what you guys even do flying just all over the place, looking out for TFRs, airspaces all the time. And I just can't yeah. even imagine what that would be like with paper charts or constantly trying to figure uh, out where you are, or who you're talking to. So I, thanks for flight. Yeah. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, we do appreciate it. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for, for flight. That's, yeah. it's been a, it's been a godsend for sure. Definitely. That's awesome. Well, I do a, a yeah. little section called the rapid fire section. Um, uh, we just asked a bunch of random questions and sometimes I know okay. what I'm asked. Sometimes I don't. So if you don't mind, we'll go ahead and you just say the first thing that comes to your mind. All right, go for it. What's the, what's your favorite plane you've ever flown? Favorite plane I've ever flown, probably, um, well, you know, uh, the Piper Archer. I yeah. just, uh, it was, it was my first and, and has always been my favorite aircraft. What is your favorite airline? Favorite airline? Um, probably Delta. Favorite airline one. livery? Would you say Delta as well? Or would you say someone else? Uh, livery wise, I think, uh, I like Air New Zealand. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, cool. I love that. When yeah. I was in college, they showed us Air New Zealand safety videos, and they were the funniest ones I've ever seen. So ever since those, I've had a special spot for Air New Zealand in my heart. I've always wanted to fly them. Yeah, no, it's, they're awesome. What's your favorite airport food to eat when you're out traveling? Favorite airport food? Um, let me think on that. Uh, you know, I always try to find a peach coffee. That there you seems go. To be, if I can find peach coffee, that's what I'm after. There you go. I think that's yeah. like a definitely a West Coast thing because no one really talks about pizza when I was back home out <laughs> east or even in the Midwest. It's not about pizza at all. Yeah, and it's it's either Starbucks or whoever the the local brewery yeah. is. I imagine, yeah. Without a doubt, my favorite is Phil's Coffee, though. I've always loved Phil's oh. Coffee, and it's just always been it's like a treat whenever I go out there. I have to find the nearest Phil's. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. <laughs> what is yeah. the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Ugliest airplane. Um, I'd have to go with uh, uh, the A380. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's awesome. That's the first time yeah. I heard that one, but that, that's pretty accurate. It is an ugly, ugly airplane. It, it is ugly. I mean, I've flown on it, and I love, uh, I love the experience. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's not the prettiest aircraft. It's hard to make something that big and make it pretty. Indeed, yeah. Uh, that's funny. Uh, let's see. What do I have? What is your least favorite time of the day to fly? Would you rather fly at night, morning, afternoon? Which one would you, what, what's the least and what's your favorite? I, I love flying at night. Um, I would say, you know, bulk of our patrol time is done at night. So I just really enjoy that atmosphere. Um, and I honestly, I can't say I have 
you know, the only time that I can say I don't like flying is when it's hot. Yeah. So if it's midday and it's the cockpit's 90 degrees and the gips is kind of like a, a terrarium. So we get this <laughs> you know, heat, heat pouring in through the plexi and the air conditioner is kind of like spitting cold air on my, yeah. on the back of the right side of my neck. So it, it gets a little toasty. So uh, yeah, hot days, no go. What is one thing you always have to have on your person while you're flying? One thing I always have to have on my person when I'm flying. Like um, uh, a snack. A, a snack. I, I, always, there you go. I always have a snack in my lower ankle pilot, pocket of my uh, jumpsuit. That's so, awesome. For the midair for hey, fueling. You got that pocket for, yeah, for midair fueling. You got that pocket. You got to use it when you need it, right? That's right. Uh, that's right. <laughs> that is all I have for the rapid fire. So you survived. Awesome. Well done. All right. Awesome. <laughs> I got a couple more questions for you and then I will let you go. Um, sure, man. We were talking about motivation earlier, and on my Instagram today, I posted just um, a quick just caption about how building your time for the airlines or for whatever job that you want to do can honestly suck, and it's hard to, to find motivation in times like that. What kind of tips and what advice would you give someone to help stay motivated when they're kind of struggling and they're like, man, I'm at 700 hours, but I need 1,500 hours to get here? What kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, well, that's that's a tough one, but I will say that um, I mean podcasts like yours um, and a number of others that are out there. Um, you, know, you you listen to other pilots' struggles and realize that uh, you know the struggles that you're going through. There's been you know tens of thousands of guys in front of you that have had equal or more difficult struggles. So knowing that you're in good company. Um, I think really can can help uh, help you get over those those mountains. You know, when you're looking at the bottom and you're looking up, and you're like, "Holy mackerel, that's a long way." Um, but you know, others in front of you have done the same thing. As long as you're you know putting one foot in front of the other, literally, um, <laughs> uh, to to go towards your goal, uh, you're making you're making strides in the right direction. And there and there will be setbacks, and that's that's part of the journey. And that's why, you know, you get to the end of it and, and you really value um, where you've ended up because of the amount of struggle that you've gone through to get there. And I think that's can be said for just about anything in life. You Definitely. Aviation is yeah. one of the few careers, I think, in the in pretty much the entire world. This is a very broad statement right now. I don't really have much evidence backing it other than like my own personal experiences. But I feel like it's one of those that you are never just given anything. Like you might jump into the right yeah. situation. But you have to work for it. Like you have to put your head down. You have to go to work. I can't think of many people that have just been given a job at Delta or United. It's like everyone has had to grind to get to where they are now. So you're not – and it kind of goes back to the motivation. You're not alone in any of that. Everyone that has gotten there has been through it and they were able to get through it. So why can't you get through it? Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly it. If you can just keep that high visual horizon and see that – that there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel and, and you will make it as long as you, uh, you keep your focus and motivation. Definitely. But it's, yeah, that's, it's worth the struggle. Let's put it that way. So oh, anybody out there is. That, that, that is saying, I'm about to give this up, just don't give it up. Right. If it's what you really desire in your heart, go after it. Yeah. It's one of those things. Cause I mean, I'm not using you as an example, just, uh, or I'm going to use you as an example where you kind of walked away from aviation a little bit. And what do you know? Yeah. Later in your life, it came right back. It's like once you get Indeed. that bug, it might go away for a little bit, but you're truly not going to be happy unless you can satisfy that bug and give, give yourself what it actually wants. And that's to go fly an airplane. And I'm glad that you were able to find that and figure out how to make that happen. 
Yeah, and you know, I, and I initially had almost thought about going the rotor route, you know, mm-hmm. since I'd been on the helicopter for seven years. And so I, I did start that training toward doing my add-on, and I started seeing my bank account disappearing very quickly because <laughs> oh, yeah. helicopters are about three times or four oh, yeah. times the cost to operate. So, and that is a, that is a route for some people. Most of the guys that we have who are helicopter trained are usually ex-military guys. Yeah, um, We do get a lot of um, former Huey, Blackhawk, uh, Cobra drivers that end up coming to the highway patrol working and then ultimately flying. So it, it's not just a fixed uh, wing operation. It's definitely a rotor wing operation as well. So if people that are listening to this are interested in that, it's uh, definitely a possibility. Definitely. Now, I know yeah. people listening to us are probably going to be interested in Highway Patrol and the flying. Uh, do you have an email or your Instagram that you want to give out so people can get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. Um, my Instagram is uh, jantheman113, um, and you can message me there with any any questions or comments. If you want to learn more about the Highway Patrol, it's um, chp.ca.gov, um, and you just hit the careers tab there. And there's tons and tons of information on how to apply, um, more information about what the job entails. Um, so that's kind of the, the go-to spot. They, uh, they also, we have a, um, a Facebook page here for the Golden Gate Division Air Operations Unit. And our public affairs officer is really good about posting very recent events that have occurred, um, you know, whether it be pursuits or rescues, medevacs, that kind of thing. Um, and I occasionally I'll post a picture cause I, I do a lot of photography from the cockpit, um, of the, you know, sunsets or landscapes when we're just out tooling around. Mm-hmm. So my Instagram has a lot of that stuff on it as does, uh, the Golden Gate division, cool. uh, air ops website. Yeah. So yeah. Instagram yeah. is definitely a good way to show off the, the good parts of aviation. Cause I mean, it, it's, it's a beautiful job that we have. It's a beautiful industry. Like we just get to see some of the coolest things. And we usually have our phone with us or a camera with us to take a picture and snap it. So Instagram definitely helps us share the best of aviation, which is awesome. Yeah, and I definitely enjoy what you're sharing there too. Get to get to see your travels and uh, (laughs) you know live live part of your journey, and that's kind of what it's all about, man. You share these journeys, and that creates a great deal of motivation. You know, it's uh, like a it's a, it's a it's a typhoon of, of motivation so we just got to keep it flowing yeah i completely agree we all motivate each other in a, in a certain way and people get motivated in different ways so if it's like Absolutely. i say everyone has a story to tell like it doesn't matter if you have five hundred thousand followers on instagram or if you have 10 followers you still have a story yeah. to tell and it's just something that we need to get out to help motivate and get more people out there Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jen, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I'll go ahead and debrief once we get done with this, but I, I just want to say thank you again for coming on the podcast and thank you for what you do. As I said earlier, it's, it's probably a somewhat of a thankless job. People don't know exactly <laughs> what you're doing or when you're doing or how you're actually affecting them as a person, but I know that you do incredible things and we're very thankful for what you do and what your department does. So thanks for coming on and sharing a little bit about it. Oh, you're very welcome, Justin. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. Have a good one. You too. And that is a wrap of episode number 43. I cannot believe there has been 43 episodes already. Man, time flies. Aviation, I'm so glad you guys listened to this episode. I know you guys are dedicating your time to these, and I truly appreciate that. If you liked today's episode, like I said earlier, please leave me a review on iTunes. You can let me know at pilot to pilot on Instagram or email me at pilot to pilot HQ 
at gmail.com. I hope you have a great day and as always, happy flying.